Biden announced $800 million in new military aid to Ukraine. That is remarkable, not only because of how fast he moved to get them what they needed, but at no point did he use the phrase, I would like you to do us a favor, though. Yeah, that was nice. Now, above and beyond the military help, I got an idea. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't, but it could I'm be. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. And hey, New Mexico, your senator is doing a great job. We'll talk about that in a bit. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internet on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and many of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for tuning in to the Bradcast. We have been trying to highlight, since Russia launched its launched its uh, brutal war, uh, which doesn't seem like a strong enough word. I don't know. Uh, horrific, hor- tragic, obscene. Yeah, there's all kinds of words, and none, no, no single word is sufficient. Correct. Thank you, Des. Hi. Hi. We've been trying to highlight, uh, since that war began, um, the, the various wartime efforts, if you will, that are sort of outside the box, you know, beyond sending more missiles and ar- armaments to Ukraine, which is being done by the many European countries and the U.S., and obviously that is necessary right now, unfortunately. But we've been looking uh, beyond that, beyond even you know humanitarian assistance, which remains very much needed as well. St- we're trying to look. We've been looking at stuff that can you know help fight for democracy and freedom and ultimately peace, but which is not on the front pages or at the top of the cable news amid all of the reports on continuing violence and war crimes being unleashed by Putin in Ukraine. So to that end, we will be joined shortly by someone we haven't talked to uh, on the air for years. 
about uh, another such effort that, uh, Desi, you have been, uh, you have referred to this, I think, once or twice on our Green <laughs> News reports. Yes, I have. Uh, but which I think demands a bit more focus here because, though it's not currently on the front pages, frankly, it should be. It's because, pretty ingenious. Yeah, I think it could make a huge difference, not just in the war itself, by the way, but beyond the war to the climate amid our raging climate crisis Thanks to the burning of fossil fuels, which, as it turns out, also helps Russia and its war effort. Go figure. Thanks to its uh, petro economy, which really is a huge part of Putin's war machine right now. Anyway, to that end, the great Bill McKibben, author, journalist, climate activist, founder of 350.org, and now thirdact.org will join us uh, in a bit. And he's only able to be here for a few minutes today. But I really want to talk about this new effort, which I think is really cool and really important for the war effort right now and for the world beyond it. Uh, if there is such a world, uh, given the way that uh, Vladimir Putin right now is behaving, Frankly, I'm not so sure. As his war effort bogs down and Russia's economy is in tatters as Western sanctions are really hitting home hard there, more and more of his own people, regular Russians and his oligarchs alike, seem to be running for the exits. Frankly, who can blame them at this point? But some of the oligarchs are, are running into trouble without access to their frozen funds and bank accounts. And yes, even their escape vessels, their mega yachts, which are being impounded around the world, as you have likely heard. On Wednesday, for example, as reported by The New York Times last night, Spain, which has pledged to seize the suspected super yachts of Russian oligarchs targeted for sanctions, impounded the third such vessel, one of the world's biggest super yachts in Spanish territorial waters this week. The ship was impounded in the Spanish port of Tarragona. Pending an inspection to establish its exact ownership, Spain's transport ministry uh, said in a statement, the Spanish authorities have taken similar measures against two other yachts, the Valerie, which was in, in a maintenance yard in Barcelona, and Lady Anastasia, a yacht that was moored in Port Adriano on the Spanish island of Mallorca. The boats are suspected of being owned by Russian industrialist uh, industrialists oligarchs and arms dealers who are very close to Putin. Spain's hunt for Russian-owned super yachts comes after Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez announced the seizure of the Valerie on Monday and warned, quote, there will be more. Spain is not the only one to do this, of course. In early March, the French authorities seized a yacht in a yard which they said was linked to Igor Sechin, the chief executive of the state oil company Rosneft. He's also a former deputy prime minister in Russia. And yesterday it was reported that a Russian-owned superyacht is stranded in northern Norway because local oil suppliers, I love this, refuse to refuel the ship amid <laughs> the uh, war in Ukraine. The yacht Ragnar is owned by the Russian oligarch Vladimir uh, Strezhalkovsky, who is apparently a former KGB agent who made his fortune in nickel mining and is a longtime associate of Putin. He also served as a deputy minister. Now, Strzelkovsky is not actually on the EU's list of sanctioned Russians. 
But apparently that hardly matters to the folks who would ordinarily be expected to fuel the yacht up in Norway. A local oil supplier told Norwegian media, quote, why should we help them? They can row home. <laughs> so all of this, of course, is is making Putin uh, crazy in several ways, it seems. Both the crackdown on those inside his inner circle and the fact that many of those folks in his inner circle are sort of trying to get the hell away from Russia right now. As we reported yesterday, there seems to be encouraging headway being made in peace talks between Russia, uh, Russian and, and, and Ukrainian negotiators. Putin's top foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, said that he sees progress being made and that compromise appears possible. That seems like very good news. But the increasingly erratic behavior of Russia's war criminal president at this point seems to contradict that uh, otherwise good news that was coming out of those peace talks. And it is alarming a lot of folks right now. As Alex Smith reports at NBC News today, anyone looking for signs that embattled and isolated Russia might soften its position would not have found much hope in the increasingly belligerent words of President Vladimir Putin. With his invasion of Ukraine floundering and his economy teetering, Putin doubled down on Wednesday, turning his baleful glare on Russians who are against the invasion or who sympathize with the West. During another one of his long televised addresses with his shoulders hunched and staring down the barrel of the camera, Putin declared, quote, and frankly, this is somewhat frightening, uh, quote, the Russian people will always be able to distinguish true patriots from scum and traitors and will simply spit them out like an insect in their mouth onto the pavement. Yeesh. This was the uh, latest speech to surprise and alarm many who study Putin. He adopted what they say is an emotional ranting tone since he invaded Ukraine three weeks ago, a departure from the calculating persona of this former KGB officer. Putin reserves special ire in his comments for Russian oligarchs, his close pals, in theory, many of whom are Kremlin-linked billionaires who made their fortune amid the carve-up of the former Soviet Union and now spend much of it on yachts. Well, they used to. And other luxuries uh, in the West. Some of them have recently broken cover and distanced themselves from Putin's war. Good luck with that. Without naming anyone specifically, Putin referred to, quote, national traitors who, quote, have villas in Miami or the French Riviera who cannot make who cannot make do without foie gras, oysters or gender freedom, as they call it, whatever that may mean. An apparent reference to his disdain for liberal Western values like gender freedom. <laughs> well, okay. yes, he's got a very strong anti-gay, uh, anti-LGBTQ everything uh, in, in Russia. All the stuff that made the Republicans love him until about five minutes ago. Yes. Putin criticized uh, their servile mentality. And perhaps most frighteningly, uh, really, uh, called for a, quote, natural and necessary self-detoxification of society, which would, quote, strengthen our country, our solidarity and cohesion. A self-detoxification? Sounds like a purge. 
Kremlin experts such as John Loff, an associate fellow at London's Chatham House uh, think tank, said, quote, he's clearly angry, emotional and feels the need to speak in this very aggressive tone. Loff thinks the speech was uh, aimed at Russian elites, some of whom he believes are privately dismayed by the failure of the war and the economic back backlash it has inflicted at home. According to Loff, Putin was saying to the elites, don't think about having second thoughts. We're all in this together. And if I go down, you go down. Almost 15,000 protesters have been arrested in Russia since the war began, according to OVD Info. That's a human rights group based in Moscow that tracks uh, police detentions. 15,000 protesters. Unknown thousands more have fled the country, driven away by a deepening state repression of protests, independent journalism and social media, as well as a plummeting economy hit by international sanctions and mass boycotts. The Kremlin explained Thursday that it was these people who were showing themselves to be, quote, traitors, those people who are leaving, I guess. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov said this is how this cleansing happens. Putin's tone contrasted with the Russian and Ukrainian negotiating uh, teams, which signaled tentative pro progress in peace talks. Uh, so some experts saw Putin's speech as a chilling sign. Putin, in an Orwellian way, has divided the citizens of Russia into clean and unclean, said Andrei Koleshnikov, a Moscow-based political analyst uh, on Twitter. Konstantin Steltzenmuller, a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution in Washington, compared Putin's speech to Adolf Hitler's fictional tirade from the bunker in the 2000 film, 2004 film Downfall. Remember this? Yes. The one whose uh, subtitles have generated countless Internet memes showing Hitler going crazy, essentially, in the bunker. Strong der Untergang vibes here, she tweeted, using the film's German title. Loff, uh, from that London think tank, was the first NATO official posted to Moscow in the 1990s. He says his contacts there are privately conveying surprise and shock and disbelief at what is going on, as there is now, uh, a, a, quote, an acceptance that this is going to usher in a period of extreme isolation of Russia as well as impoverishment, and a return, frankly, to many of the features of the Soviet Union, he said. As Russia falters, then, Ukraine, uh, even amid unending assault and death and in places like Mariupol, starvation and people literally dropping dead in the street, somehow Ukraine is fighting on and moving forward as Russia now seems to be reverting back to its darkest Soviet days. And how they are moving forward amid all of this? Freeing themselves from the enslavement of electricity powered by Russian gas. Last night, after we got off the air, the office of Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky issued a critical announcement, though it is one that has received surprisingly little coverage. This is from the office of Pre the president of Ukraine. The system operator of the Ukrainian power grid, Ukrenergo, together with its European counterparts, has completed, completed the integration of domestic and European energy systems. 
President Zelensky is quoted as saying Ukrainian and European energy systems are already working synchronously. How do you say it? Synchronously. There we go. Synchronously, yes. He reminded the Ukrainian people that on the night when Russia started the war against Ukraine just over three weeks ago, our state disconnected from the Russian and Belarusian energy system and will never return. Zelensky is quoted as saying the enemy expected the Ukrainian power system would collapse, that we would not be able to cope. So he seized the Zaporozhizhia nuclear power plant, deliberately bombed and keeps bombing thermal power plants in Ukrainian cities and power lines. But the Ukrainian energy system has worked stably and steadily throughout the 21 days of war. And starting from today, we are no longer alone, he said. As of today, Ukrainian electricity flows to Europe and European electricity flows to Ukraine. And by the way, I've noticed that in all of these Skype interviews you see on, on cable news with people in Ukraine, in Kiev, they've got really good uh, power and really fast Internet, it seems like. It shows the importance of electricity. I have been stunned. I would think that it would be much more difficult to have those conversations, those interviews with, with people in, in a war zone. But no, the electricity has been up and running, as has the Internet. According to Zelensky, from now on, the Ukrainian energy system has reliable energy reserves, which are located abroad. So it's protected from attacks by the invader. This war has, uh, you know, been an incredibly long three weeks, obviously, for the people of Ukraine. But three weeks, they were able to switch the grid from its attachment to Russia and, and, and Belarus yeah, it's completely a, to uh, Europe in just three weeks? It's a huge achievement of what they have done in order to uh, build up the kinds of transmission and the kinds of, of, of electronic connections that are necessary to manage this synchronicity between the European grid and Ukraine's grid. It's This is huge. It, it's huge and unbelievably fast and should tell us, uh, you know, when it comes... To our own electric grid, which really needs to be upgrading, upgraded, this stuff can be done quickly. If you need to, you can. Apparently, yes. yeah, even amid a war. Zelensky says, quote, I'm thankful to all the EU member states personally, to the president of the European Commission, the European Commissioner for Energy and dozens of people from Ukraine and Europe who worked day and night during these days of war so that today we can say this. Ukraine is in the energy EU. Good. We now have a single energy circulatory system from Lisbon to Mariupol. Ukraine is in the energy eurozone. We cannot be defeated, he added. So, yeah, that was fast. And yet, much of Europe itself, unfortunately is still reliant on Russian oil and gas. And they can be defeated if an increasingly erratic and isolated Vladimir Putin decides to simply turn off the switch. Then again, there is a way that Europe can turn off the switch themselves, cutting off the petrodollars, or I guess the petro-euros, the petro-rubles, that make any and all of this possible. Longtime environmental journalist Bill McKibben has an idea about how the U.S. can help Europe to do exactly that and, frankly, in very short order. 
And the idea reportedly is catching on inside the Biden administration. That story, and Bill McKibben himself joins us next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Late last week at The Hill, New Mexico's senior Democratic Senator Martin Heinrich and Ari Matusiak of Rewiring America wrote, With the tragic, illegal, and unprovoked invasion of Ukraine by Vladimir Putin, the world has been turned upside down. There is a hardening resolve among peace-loving nations and people around the globe to support Ukraine and isolate the Putin regime. The U.S. is leading this effort alongside our allies, reaffirming historic bonds in the process. But... As Americans watch the inspiring heroism of Ukrainians fighting for their land and survival, we see plainly before us the fallout from a world dependent on fossil fuels. Oil and gas have propped up Putin's regime. Fossil fuels have enabled an autocrat to fantasize that he can reset the terms of the global order. The only way to break free from that cycle of dependence, they write, is to stop using the machines that consume fossil fuels to heat our air and water, cook our food, dry our clothes, take us from place to place. We must electrify and quickly, they write. It is clear that dependence on fossil fuels is not just bad for the environment, but puts people at risk electrification can break the cycle. And while the immediate need is in Europe, going all in for electrification here at home can both spur manufacturing opportunities and facilitate our own transition toward true, true independence. Fossil fuels makes our European allies vulnerable to Putin. Forty percent, 40 percent of Europe's natural gas comes from Russia along with 27% of their oil. If we include the UK, 76 million homes in Europe use gas for heat. Breaking Putin's power grip means destroying demand for his dwindling fossil fuel resources. Every single home that runs on clean electricity is one more family that is beyond Putin's reach. But... So far, Western sanctions in Europe have largely exempted Russian oil and gas precisely because of this dependency. Electrification, they note, gives political leaders more leverage to dictate the terms of engagement. Electrifying 76 million homes is a bold goal. But so, they write, was building 47,000 planes in 1942. War demands that we do what we think we cannot. 
Now, since Russia's horrific war on Ukraine began, we've been trying to highlight various, often underreported ways in which those of us outside of the war zone, particularly here in the U.S., can actually help in the war effort in ways beyond contributions to charities and aid, aid groups, etc., ways that can make a difference, that can change the game, if you will. For one, of course, we have been calling on folks to work at home, if possible. And while I realize many people can't, much of the country found that they could do exactly that during the pandemic lockdowns. And when they did... As, Des, you will remember, the price of oil plummeted. Yes, it went to negative, negative pricing. Negative, yes. Oil companies were literally paying people to take oil off of their hands. And yes, with that, as you also recall, at least those of us here in L.A. do, the skies cleared. <laughs> yeah, there were some co-benefits to that. There were, uh, very quickly, too. It was great for the climate, of course, but the plunge in oil prices also hurt the global fossil fuel industry, which in turn also harmed the very heavy fossil fuel-based Russian economy that is fueling this war. Yes, the engine funding, they're clearly underfunded, but still wildly dangerous war on their sovereign neighbor, Ukraine. So, yes, if you can, if your job allows it, stay home. Work from home for peace and democracy. <laughs> A more uh, formal effort we highlighted recently was the so-called Short Waves for Freedom Project, a group of mostly former longtime Voice of America veterans who were raising the surprisingly small amount of money needed to purchase shortwave radio transmission time to rebroadcast VOA content into Russia and Ukraine as Voice of America and Radio Free Li Europe had ended their decades-old Cold War program for broadcast transmitted via shortwave radio into Europe. They ended that several decades ago after the fall of the Soviet Union. This group aims to try to revive it. Now, with Russia shutting down all independent media voices over local airwaves, the need to get real information about the war into that former Soviet Union seems as critical as ever. So we talked about the project with two members of the group, uh, who are behind it uh, on the show last week? Was that last yep. week? <laughs> it seems like forever ago, but ago, yeah, I know. Just, la just last week. Uh, in any event, I'm told that the project is doing well. It is expanding. It's going well to date. Uh, and another project that, Des, you have briefly referenced once or twice in our Green News Report segments is one that I think deserves a lot more focus for reasons I, I think you'll understand momentarily. It's another seemingly sort of out outside of the box, uh, but incredibly critical project for both the short and long term, I think. We saw this first reported a few weeks ago by longtime journalist, author and climate activist Bill McKibben just after Russia's invasion in what he headlined in his email newsletter at the time as heat pumps for peace and freedom, how Joe Biden could damage Putin badly, and he doesn't even have to ask Joe Manchin, which, of course, makes it especially attractive. <laughs> As uh, McKibben wrote last month, it's amazing to watch people across the planet rallying to the defense of brave Ukraine, choirs singing outside Russian embassies, soccer teams refusing to play Russian teams. And it's wonderful to watch governments rise to the occasion, shutting off airspace to Russian airplanes or kicking them off international banking protocols. 
All of it helps enormously in the moment, but little of it goes straight to the heart of Russia's power, which, beside nuclear weapons, is almost entirely based on its production of gas and oil. Remember, notes McKibben, 60% of Russia's export earnings are hydrocarbons. For decades, Europe has cowered for fear that Moscow would turn off the tap. But it need cower no longer, he writes. New technology, affordable and workable, means Europeans can heat their homes with electricity instead of gas. And if we, the U.S., wanted to, we could, before next winter comes, help enormously in this task. How could we do that? Well, Let's ask Bill McKibben. Bill, as you may know, is both the founder of the Global Youth Climate Advocacy Group, 350.org, and a new organization called ThirdAct.org, seeking to involve seniors in the fight to address our climate crisis. As a longtime author, educator, and journalist, he is now also the publisher of a newsletter called The Crucial Years, which you can subscribe to via BillMcKibben.substack.com. Oh, Mr. McKibben. Thank you, sir, for making time for us today on the broadcast. Well, a great pleasure. And, you know, this is obviously a hideous, hideous month. Uh, Brad, we're staring down for the first time since I was a child. We're talking seriously about the prospects of nuclear war. The people in the Ukraine are living through scenes that look like they came out of a newsreel about the Second World War. Um, It's completely horrible, and it's completely tied to our dependence on fossil fuel. Yep. This is not a war for fossil fuel, the way that some of our wars in the Middle East may have been, but it's a war about funded by and about the power that comes with fossil fuel. And so the way off it is to get off fossil fuel. And the good news is that our scientists and engineers over the last decade have done incredible work. They've dropped the price of renewable energy 90%. Sun and wind are the cheapest way to generate power now, and they've produced this suite of technologies that allow us to do the things we need to do with that electricity. So well, everybody knows mm-hmm. about the rise of electric vehicles, mm-hmm. but the same for the the same for the gas or oil furnace that's you know blazing away in one's basement. Yes, uh, the 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 most efficient way now and cheapest and smartest way to heat your home or cool your home is with this technology that we're calling heat pumps. Uh, They're not brand new, but they've gotten much better. And essentially, they're an air conditioner that also works in reverse. Mm -hmm. They take the heat out of the ambient air and and use it to heat your home or or conversely cool it in the summer. And, And if we could get a lot of these into Europe this summer... Uh, that would make a big difference. Now, here's the thing. A, we have, turns out, spare capacity in this country to produce these things. Mm-hmm. Big air conditioner manufacturers like Carrier or Train mm-hmm. know what they're doing and, and, and could do it. And B, we actually have a government vehicle that would allow us to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, this Defense Production Act was a product of the Korean War, but it's been used by every president since. Both Trump and Biden used it to uh, speed up vaccine production. Mm -hmm. And indeed, Biden's already used it, uh, who knew, because we ran out of fire hose during the huge fires in California. So he used it to get a 
factory in Oklahoma to produce hundreds of miles of fire hose at mm-hmm. a moment's notice. This so, is the kind of thing we can use to get this work done now and get this stuff over to Europe. Yeah, and done, as you note, without having to get Joe Manchin's permission. This is not particularly uh, controversial, in fact, the use of the Defense Production Act. As you mentioned, it goes back through many presidents and a, a version of it, of course, during World War II. How, uh, when it comes to heat pumps, and, it, you know, it seems like such a small thing, uh, but really, when you look at what this is and what the numbers are, this is not a small thing. This could make a very big difference. If, if you know, Joe Biden invokes the uh, Defense Production Act to begin making them here in the U.S., what kind of difference can these make both in the uh, in the war effort itself as far as, you know, R- Russia's production of gas that Europe is now uh, reliant on uh, and as well for uh, the climate crisis at the very same time? Well, so that's really an interesting way to think about it, of course, because it really is a dual crisis. Yeah. I mean, the day after the day after Russia invaded the Ukraine, the world's climate scientists gave us their most recent report in which they said, "We're out of time. We, if we don't act now, then we will never act." Yeah. And and so that that actually does make a lot of sense. But in terms of Europe, I mean, so Russia, we they have to cut back a lot on their consumption of gas. That's basically what Russia is sending to Europe. Mm -hmm. And that gas is used above all for home heating. Uh, So anything that we can do to get even a few million homes uh, uh, off that gas before next October is a big blow to Putin. I mean, you know, for the moment, his leverage will be dwindling as the temperature rises. But even in a globally warmed world, it's going to get cold again come October, November next year. And we don't want... Uh, 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 Europe sort of held with that, you know, sword over its head. It, it turns out there's other products, too, that would accomplish some of the same thing. The U.S. has a lot of spare capacity for manufacturing insulation. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know whether you've ever been to the U.K. or not, for instance, mm-hmm. but uh, one of the things you note when you travel there is there's a lot of drafty homes. Yes, uh, yes. It's, it's sort of famously cold in the mm-hmm. <laughs> inside in the winter, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Well, look, think back to World War II. Think back to the year before Pearl Harbor. Uh, Britain is is holding out on its own against uh, Hitler as he rampages across the continent. And we haven't declared war yet, and there's, in fact, much opposition in this country to doing it. But FDR starts this program called Lend-Lease, which essentially is shipping huge amounts of material, food, supplies, off to Britain to keep them going until we can get in the war. This is a version of that, you know, mm-hmm. and and its effect will be enormous not only on on the um, material outcome but on the morale front too. Uh, uh, this is a palpable way to be helping. Yeah, we've no. got to send anti-tank weapons. But we've also got to send a lot of other things. Yeah, and this, this is something that can start, uh, it sounds like, immediately. And I know there's been uh, discussions. I've seen uh, Senator uh, uh, Martin Heinrich from uh, New Mexico has been pushing for this hard. I know there's been discussions within the administration I want to ask you about. But, you know, when it comes to things like heat pumps, you, uh, Bill McGibbon, you use actually, you write that you use one of them yourself in a, a home powered by solar panels. That's not necessary, uh, necessary to use these pumps, but... Do they work as well as, you know, boilers that are powered by uh, gas or or even worse for the climate, coal? Yeah, 
Absolutely. I mean, this is good technology. And In the same way that, like, my EV works better than any car I've ever had. This stuff's great. Quiet, clean, works. And and if I understand it, the president, under the Defense Production Act, can immediately make uh, contracts with these, uh, like you mentioned, a train and these uh, air-conditioned manufacturers. They're not losing money. They'll be paid to do this, uh, as right. well as insulation. We're talking about uh, big uh, government projects that will add a whole lot of jobs. And you note, by the way, just on a political uh, uh, element here, a lot of these companies are actually based in swing states? <laughs> right. If, you're, if you were a political guy, you'd look at the map. It's like uh, Florida, Georgia, Wisconsin, uh, North Carolina. Uh, 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 so there's reason to think Biden and his crew might be interested. And I know that uh, this, as I say, can happen quite quickly. What is involved in actually, you know, flipping the switch on this? Uh, you know, we don't have to go crawling to mansion this time. So what is involved? How quickly can this happen? And because I know your time with us is short today, what are you hearing from uh, inside the administration since you uh, wrote your article about heat pumps for peace and freedom? It can happen pretty fast. There's spare capacity. Uh, and what I'm hearing from within the administration is that they're taking it seriously. You know, ideas, new ideas generally, to put it very politely, marinate for a long time mm -hmm. in Washington. Uh, it can take years, decades right. for ideas. To, but, but sometimes you're at these moments when events conspire to allow things to happen more quickly. And here, the combination of Putin's insane aggression mm -hmm. and the recent development of these new technologies put us in a place where, wow, there really is a, 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 a possibility here of breaking through for a moment the polarized dysfunction of mm -hmm. our government and actually getting something done. By the way, Bill McKibben, uh, can the if if this happened and if we were able to you know tr flip the switch and start uh, cranking out millions of these heat pumps, can the European uh, electrical grid actually handle this massive influx of electric uh, heat pumps over the next year or more? And and what do we say to those uh, inevitable critics who say, well, you'll still be using oil and gas and coal uh, to power those heat pumps at the at, at the power plants? Yes. There'll be some of that, for sure, uh, although Europe is going quickly to renewables and, and in the wake of the invasion said that they would go entirely the EU to renewables by 2035. But even if you're running it off gas, these things are so much more efficient mm. than the gas boiler in your basement that you're saving a lot of gas right there, even if the electricity is coming from gas, because... because I mean, I mean, basically, building a campfire in your basement, which is what your gas boiler is, mm -hmm. is not a very efficient way to, to get things done. So there's big, uh, and the Europeans can use them. The, the choke point may actually be uh, trained people to install them, mm. which is one reason that the good people at rewiringamerica.org, who have kind of taken this up in a big way, mm -hmm. have in their, in their proposal for the Biden administration, uh, training uh, and sending abroad uh, a, a big crew of Americans to help with that installation, one of the benefits for us is they get good at it. So, you know, come back here, and what helps enormously in Austria and Germany and Poland and Moldova this winter uh, helps a lot in Minnesota and, and, and Montana the winter after that. Yes. So, 
win-win all around. Yeah, really win-win. This seems like such a no-brainer. Bill, I know i got to let you go here. Hopefully we'll have more time to talk at length uh, next all time. Right. Can, can, can you give me a quick, just a quick explainer on, the new, uh, uh, on your new group, uh, thirdact.org, before you go? Absolutely. We're organizing tens of thousands of people very quickly over the age of 60 who want to work on climate change and on protecting democracy. Uh, these are people who, in their first act, were around to at least bear witness to big social, economic, political transformation, and it's still in their DNA. Uh, so we may have backed off for a few decades, but people have time, resources, skills, grandkids, and, and they're going to put them to use. And every one of them listens to the broadcast. So uh, you can find uh, Bill's work. Uh, his uh, newsletter is The Crucial Years. You can sign up, billmckibben.substack.com. Of course, you're familiar with 350.org, but you can also go to thirdact.org, and you can find Bill on the Twitters at Bill McKibben. Thanks for uh, all of your work over all of these years. This great idea. Thank you, Brad. Yep. Talk to you, and we hope to talk to you soon. Many thanks. You bet. I, uh, I know he was in a rush. Yes. Uh, we were just able to catch him for a few minutes. But I have been, since, Desi, you uh, brought this to my attention, I've been looking at this for the past couple of weeks and wanting to talk about it. Because, again, it's one of those things that's sort of outside of the box. You know, we're all talking about, you know, anti-tank missiles and, uh, you know, those sorts of things. Uh, yes, but those are all things that we as American individuals at home concerned about this war, things that we can't do anymore anything about, but this is something we can help with. This is something that we can help with. Kind of like, uh, I've also been asking people, stay home if you can, if you Concern. can work at home. Yes. Uh, right now, we did it for years during the lockdowns. If you can do it right now, continue doing it right now, because it does make a difference. It will lower gas prices, and it's one of those things uh, which hurts Russia, by the way, and it's one of those things that also helps the climate at the same time. These things seem like no-brainer and frankly, I you know I think uh, the administration right now is doing a lot of stuff uh, correctly in a very you know walking a very fine line. Yes, uh, with a lot of things they're they're doing right now. But these things, there are a lot of things that Americans can do if we pay attention, if we talk about them, and frankly, if we have some leadership, I would like to see from the White House on this. I can imagine not just, you know, millions of heat pumps going to, to Europe where they're needed immediately before next winter, but also, as uh, Bill McKibben says, uh, changing the game here in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of ingenious when you really think about it that, hey, you stand up this program to train Americans, you send them overseas, they get really good at it, you build a supply chain here in the United States to ship to Europe, and then we have that supply chain ready to go to bring that same conservation, that same non-polluting, non-fossil fuel electric heat pumps to the United States. And that's a boatload of jobs. Can you imagine just how many buildings there are in the United States mm -hmm. and how many jobs would be created manufacturing and installing heat pumps for just the homes, for example, in the United States? And, it's a huge, it would be a huge jobs generator, just hands down. It yeah, it's good for the jobs, good for the climate. Good for the war effort. And by the way, as I as I reference their good politics, the uh, companies who uh, the big American air condition uh, manufacturers, carrier and train. Yeah. Swing states. They're based in Florida, 
Texas, there's two of them in Texas, in Wisconsin, Georgia, North Carolina. Yeah. If you want to add a whole bunch of uh, jobs to those places for some reason in those very swingy swing states, then um, that would be a, this is a the way good, to do it. And again, it. without having to bow to Lord Mansion. Indeed. Now, I just want to t- two more things. Yes. First of all, a lot of people are laboring under the myth that old school heat pumps are not good in cold climates. That is no longer true. What Bill McKibben was talking about was this new technology that has made heat pumps really good in cold climates Wait, and in warm climates. So you're saying there were heat pumps that yeah, are heat not pumps as good have been but there's for decades. new technology that uh, new heat pump technology yes. that is much better than the old ones. And it depends upon what kind of climate you live in, what mm-hmm. kind of air pump you I mean heat pump that you would get. Um, but Norway, for example, mm-hmm. Norway is the top uh, installer in the world of heat pumps. In fact, I think nearly 100% of all new heating systems installed in Norway are electric heat pumps. I hear it's pretty cold in yeah. Norway. Yeah, and so yeah, the final yeah. thing I just want to add is that, <laughs> yes. that as you have said, with, with conservation, you know, conser- conserving now where and when you can, uh, transferring to non-fossil fuel sources for your appliances, for your home, for everything else, that's a long-term project. But every bit of fossil fuels that is not burned, that is not extracted, helps the climate, but it also takes away the leverage of petrostate dictators like Putin and Saudi Arabia and anywhere else to have that kind of control over our climate and our energy system. And every bit of fossil fuels avoided takes that leverage away from them forever. And when you referred to uh, petrostate dictators right there, yeah. I actually thought you were going to mention Joe Manchin. <laughs> well, he would so, like to be, apparently. Well, he actually, not only would he like to be, he's succeeding at being yes. in, in, in many ways that are uh, great and small and all of them troubling. Uh, and so... This is another way to take away uh, to, the to leverage from this. the fossil fuel industry. Joe Biden can do this with a stroke of his pen. And uh, at least as I understand it, at least as I understand the way the uh, Defense Production Act works, Ari Matusiak of the nonprofit uh, Rewiring America, which uh, uh, Bill just mentioned there, he cites Article 5 of NATO's founding treaty to say that if the president combines that view of collective defense with the invocation of the Defense Production Act, we can start manufacturing the heat pumps that will electrify the 75 million homes in Europe and the UK dependent on Russian gas for their heat. Every home electrified with an American flag stamped heat pump will provide European leaders with more political ballast because they will be alleviating economic pain for their people. It will also enable us to create a new industry, resulting in hundreds of thousands of jobs subsidized with European investment that will spur the transformation of our own economy and give us a real shot at winning the climate fight once and for all. Works for me. I'm in. Count me in. Uh, and you know, yeah. I should say that Senator Martin Heinrich of New Mexico, Who Democratic, I mentioned a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, he actually is an engineer by training and by profession, and he has been going through the process of electrifying his own house. And he has a video series up on his YouTube channel where you can follow along and see how he goes through the whole process, and it's pretty cool. Very good. Good to know. I did not know that. I, I know he's been doing a hell of a good job in uh, trying to 
uh, bring these issues to the forefront. Yes. And it's like we haven't got a second to lose at this point. Uh, you know, and especially if this is something that we don't have to count on Joe Manchin for, <laughs> especially, then we should uh, then we should do it. Uh, all right. Uh, speaking of which, speaking of all of that, we'll take a quick break here and come back uh, on apparently a very green show today, Desi Doyen. We <laughs> I will like come back. I know you do. We will come back with Desi Doyen and her latest Green News report right after this. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to the Bradcast. <laughs> What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. You know, we'll have to see how all of this plays out, but uh, boy, oh boy, uh, wouldn't it be ironic? I don't know if ironic's the right word, but uh, I- ironic if uh, after all of these years trying to uh, do something about climate change, global warming, getting off of fossil fuels, it takes a it takes a war like this in uh, in Europe. Maybe something good can come of this. Sometimes uh, it takes war to focus the mind, I guess. I guess it does. We'll see if that actually happens. Uh, anyway, uh, the fight continues, I guess, in our latest Green News report. Republicans were looking for a scalp, and they basically got it. Republicans and Joe Manchin quash nomination of a climate hawk to the Fed. Methane emissions from coal mining far higher than previously thought. Plus, Lake Powell has now hit a record low water level. And the hydropower it produces is at stake. Fantastic. All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Now that things are opening up, I, I was out with a bunch of people there. They said, let's go someplace expensive. Uh, so I took them to a Chevron station. <laughs> this is your Green News Report. We can finally leave the house and we can't afford to drive anywhere. It's- Okay, Desi Doyen, the price of oil is actually down 30% over the past week. And yet, for some reason, the price at the gas stations have not come down at all. Go figure. they have not. Crazy the way that works. Anyway, what else you got for us today? Well, as Russia's war on Ukraine rages on and continues to upend the geopolitics of energy, climate change hasn't paused one bit. Hmm. First up, Arizona's Lake Powell Reservoir has hit a new historic low, the lowest since the reservoir was built, and much sooner than scientists expected. Water levels along the entire Colorado River watershed are declining due to rising temperatures and the deepening mega drought plaguing the U.S. West due to man-made global warming. It's reducing water supplies for millions of people in seven states and downstream wildlife. But it's also threatening power supplies. Water managers warn that Lake Powell is close to hitting Deadpool status, where it can no longer deliver clean hydroelectric power to millions of customers. This is working out great. Meanwhile, the fossil fuel industry, which is responsible for causing the climate crisis, has succeeded in tanking President Biden's nominee for the top bank regulator at the federal 
Federal Reserve, Sarah Bloom Raskin. Despite previously being twice confirmed by the Senate, Raskin withdrew this week after conservative Democratic Senator Joe Manchin of the coal state of West Virginia joined Republicans in opposition, dooming her chances in the 50-50 Senate. Did you call him conservative Democratic Senator Joe Manchin? Yes. You mean corrupt Democratic Senator Joe Manchin, I think. The fossil fuel industry lobbied heavily against Raskin over her evidence-based public positions identifying climate change as an extreme systemic risk to the U.S. financial system and her calls for the Fed, the nation's top financial regulator, to integrate climate risk analysis to ensure the stability of the financial system. Bloomberg reporter Michael McKee succinctly explained Manchin's opposition. Now, he's nominally a Democrat. He is from a coal-producing state. He didn't like her views on energy going forward, but he also makes his family money from the coal company he owns. Yes, he does. And as for the Republicans, did they mention that Sarah Bloom Raskin happens to be married to House impeachment manager Jamie Raskin in their complaints? Nope. Cowards. In other news, the Securities and Exchange Commission is set to unveil groundbreaking new rules forcing publicly traded companies to disclose their financial risks from climate change to protect investors. Oh, I hope that's okay with Joe Manchin. And for the first time, also disclose their greenhouse gas emissions in a standardized way, which will bring the U.S. more in line with other countries. Joe Manchin ain't gonna like it. The new rules are part of the Biden administration's broader push to force the private sector to address the dangers of global warming. Good. Meanwhile, a new study concludes that coal mining emits more climate warming methane globally than the oil and gas industry. Really? That's important because methane is a more powerful greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide on shorter timescales. The analysis from Global Energy Monitor is the first to measure methane emissions from more than 2,000 individual coal mines around the world, finding that coal mine emissions are 50 percent higher than the EPA estimates and exceed the carbon dioxide emissions from China's thousand-plus coal-fired power plants. How did Joe Manchin become a millionaire again? His family-owned coal business. Huh. A major leak at a ConocoPhillips oil field in Alaska's North Slope has been spewing methane uncontrolled for nearly two weeks now, forcing the evacuation of hundreds of employees from the site. The company says it is now working to remediate the leak. Finally, ExxonMobil has lost another appeal to halt an investigation by the Massachusetts Attorney General into whether the company lied to investors and the public about what it knew about climate change. Yes, they did. And yes, they should pay for it. Exxon had tried to argue that the Massachusetts Attorney General's probe violates the corporation's right to free speech under the First Amendment. But the Second Circuit Court of Appeals denied Exxon's latest attempt to escape the investigation. You have the right to free speech, you don't have the right to defraud investors and the American public. For much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. Lights, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> lights, 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 yeah. Yeah. 
ExxonMobil, uh, which has been lying uh, to its shareholders, to the world for decades now at this point when it comes to climate change. Let us not forget that their CEO, Rex Tillerson, was Donald Trump's first secretary of state. Oh, yeah. Uh, snatched up into the job after uh, or during, I don't know, uh, while Tillerson was being awarded accommodations, literally like knighted in Russia by yes. Vladimir Putin. Yep. He was like a top man there. And I don't even know if Exxon has pulled out of all of their deals with Russia at this point. I think they claimed uh, no future projects or something like that. Yeah, they're, they've been winding down a bit since uh, Putin liars. has gotten adventurous. But we'll see what yeah. actually turns out to be the case. Yeah, they're liars, so don't believe them. Anyway, one quick point I want to try to fit in here because uh, we were talking about the Glen Can- well, the Lake Powell at its lowest all-time level, endangering the Glen Canyon Dam's ability to produce hydropower. Yes. It's 35 feet away from what is called power pool level, just 35 feet. Loses that much more water over the hot summer, you know, in the middle of uh, Arizona and Utah. It will not be able to produce power anymore. And then that's bad. That is real bad because then uh, another, I don't know, 80 feet down or so it gets to Deadpool. No, not the great Marvel movie that you may (laughs) think of, but Deadpool, meaning it can't provide water anymore in the middle of the desert. And that's a problem for everything that survives downstream, especially wildlife. This is a twin tragedy uh, waiting to happen. Uh, The loss of a huge amount of power, the loss of huge amount of water in the middle of the desert. And I know we had to go through it quickly in your six-minute Green News report, but I just kind of wanted to underscore this is a serious situation. So we'll be keeping our eyes on it uh, in the days and, and weeks and months ahead. Yes. Sadly, I, I don't think this is going to be something that's going to improve with time. So it uh, will require some quick thinking on behalf of all of the cities and states reliant on that water, because uh, this is not going to go away. Quick thinking and, and quick conservation if you live in, what is it, New Mexico, Utah, Arizona. Arizona California, Nevada, etc. Yeah. All right, we got to get out. Thank you very much to Desi Doyen, our producer, and, of course, to my guest today, Bill McKibben of 350.org and thirdact.org, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's very busy program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. What we do here every day, day in and day out, whenever we can, is all thanks to you and you folks who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we do. Thank you for that. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find me at the Bradblog. I'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. (laughs) 